Welcome to Stories of Faith and Hope, the podcast that inspires your faith and gives you reason to hope. I'm your host, Joel Sutherland. You know, one of the things we don't talk about enough in the church, and yet it's something that happens in the church all the time, is domestic violence. You know, the the statistics are staggering if you look at it. According to the CDC, uh, 24 people per minute are victims of rape, physical violence, or stalking by an intimate partner in the United States. That's more than 12 million women and men over the course of a year. Also from the CDC, it says that nearly 3 in 10 women, or 29%, and 1 in 10 men in the U.S. have experienced rape, physical abuse, and or stalking by a partner and report a related impact on their functioning. Now, interestingly, also 40 to 60% of children living in homes where adult abuse occurs also experience direct abuse themselves. And here's the clincher. Religion is not a deterrent. There's just as much abuse, spousal, child, and sexual abuse in Christian homes as in non-Christian homes. That was from the book Religious Victims and Their Religious Leaders by Lee Bowker. You know, this last week, my wife um, helped as part of women's ministries. We had a church service dedicated to um, kind of raising awareness of domestic violence and domestic abuse. And for the sermon, I had asked the leader of the local women's shelter. Um, she delivered her testimony and talked a little bit about the impact that the women's shelter is making on our community. And I'm, I'm really thankful that we're starting to talk about these things. And I like to find ways that we can partner with people in our community who are trying to make a difference. And one of the people that is making a difference, not specifically in my community, but on a national and global scale, is Sarah McDougall. She's an author, speaker, abuse recovery coach for women in the faith community who are healing from abusive relationships. And uh, her passion is to lead women out of the wilderness and into a wild, abundant life with Jesus. I got to sit down with with Sarah a couple weeks ago, and we had a very inspiring conversation. We actually are going to break it up. We have two episodes, so this week and next week, with Sarah as the guest. And you are not going to want to miss this. So without taking up any more of your time, here is my conversation with Sarah McDougall. Welcome to Stories of Faith and Hope. Thank you, Joel. Pastor Joel, it's it's really great to uh, to be here. It's an honor to share with you and talk to your listeners. And I'm just excited about the day. Yes. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, who are you? What's your background? Um, what I, I like to start, you know, as, as our listeners know, I like to start with kind of childhood. What kind of you know home were you born into? Um, so let's just start there. Yeah. The problem with that is that you said 15 minutes. Like those are mutually incompatible. (laughs) So (laughs) no, um, it's, it's hard. It's hard to keep it all short and condensed. So, um, I was raised in a, a close loving family environment in a dedicated Christian home. And, you know, I, I realized that saying that in today's world, if you follow the news at all, that can sound like it's double speak for weird, creepy, isolated, isolated fundamentalist, just like off the wall kind of people, because there's so much crazy, crazy junk that gets into the news right now. And, and a lot of, um, a lot of 
awful situations that have been covered up with spiritual terms are being exposed. So it, it almost feels weird to be like, yeah, I was like such a, such a close tight knit family, Christian family, because people are always like, oh, and then what happened? But it really mm-hmm. truly was my, my parents have been married for over 50 years and they are still in love with each other, which is just wow. not normal in no, today's world. It, it is, really it is abnormal and it's beautifully ad- abnormal. Um, my my dad was uh, in the military, so we moved often. And then when my dad was out of the military, we did a lot of humanitarian and ministry and, and missionary work. Mm-hmm. So I grew up with this very global awareness, even though my parents were originally born And I was born, my sister and I were both born, but my parents were born and raised in the deep South. They were sharecroppers kids. And so they grew up chopping cotton, you know, planting rice and driving tractor by the time they were seven or eight years old and, you know, living. My mom is the youngest of 12 kids and they, their home until she was 12, like didn't have an indoor bathroom. She remembers when they strung the electric light bulb for the first time in their house. Like, so my folks, my folks came from very down to earth, practical, common sense type of, of family backgrounds, salt of the earth farm families. And then my dad joined the army and went to Vietnam and my mom stayed home and finished high school after they got married. You know, it's like the quintessential American story, high school sweethearts. Daddy went off to fight, fight the war. Mommy stayed home and they were married. They've been married ever since. And they actually became, um, strong Christians in the late seventies, just before I was born. Hmm. So they were not really raised with an intense biblical, I mean, good morals, good Mm -hmm. people, but but not with like a deep spirituality in, in their experience. So, uh, they, they encountered that and embraced that together not too long before I was born. And it definitely changed the trajectory of how they raised their family. Um, so, you know, with all of that, like we traveled even, I got the best of both worlds, I guess is what I'm Mm. trying to say. We traveled all over the world. I took my first overseas medical aid trip when I was 12 without my, me, doctors, nurses, Pacific islands, 12 years old for a month. And so, yeah. So, you know, and, and then in my early teens, I first got into media production as, um, as a teen TV show host for a global satellite a Christian network. And um, so so when I when I share that stuff, it sounds like I was probably born with some crazy silver spoon in my mouth, but I wasn't like half the time growing up, we were flat broke yeah. and living in way below the poverty line, doing different types of humanitarian aid and ministry work together. So I I got this very mixed what some people would think are not typically, they, they don't come together. Like you grow up like with farm families and then you're also traveling the world and doing global media mm-hmm. when you're a teen. It's just, it's kind of weird, but that's, that's my background. So, um, you know, by the time I was an adult, I'd, I'd been to like 
I don't know. Well, by now I've been to like 45 different countries doing refugee work and humanitarian aid work and, and some living overseas and doing just a lot of different amazing cool projects. And so the way that my parents chose to raise us, um, was very much focused on loving people for who they are and sharing Jesus and the gospel and the joy that that brings to people and and being also very flexible because we went lots of places and did lots of things. So there was no such thing as like, there's just one way to do things and that's the way we do it mm. at home. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it, it was just a very interesting um, kind of experience. Of course, with, with all of that, I, I was being raised in that, um, connected with Jesus very much personally as a child. I, uh, we didn't have a TV, so mm. we read books. Mm-hmm. We read lots of books. And we also weren't raised reading fairy tales and fiction a whole lot. We read biographies and history and missionary stories. And so those people were my heroes mm-hmm. as a kid, which is actually super cool because, you know, your childhood heroes, as you traditionally are childhood heroes, if they're fables and fairy tales and, and, um, that kind of thing, if they're fictional, you have to grow out of believing that you could become them. Yes. At point, there's this step from childhood into adulthood where you realize that your childhood heroes were fantasy. And as an adult, you now have to settle down into real life. Thank you very much. Which means you cannot wear a cape and fly. <laughs> and, and there's a letdown with that. Mm-hmm. So the, the, the really cool thing about what I loved that, that with, with the, the, the diet of what my parents made available to us was that we never had to grow out of our childhood heroes. Mm-hmm. We could grow into their shoes. They were real people like David Livingston and Adoniram Judson and Mother Teresa. And, and they were people we could choose to emulate. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, that was, that was a really foundational part of what made me who I am today mm-hmm. when I look back. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then of course, like everyone, you know, you, you grow up and you start to experience the world and you're like, okay, what do I really believe? What do I believe for myself? And I went through that too. I, I had to reconnect with Jesus personally as an adult. Yeah. Is this going to be what I believe? Um, and, and I have journeyed through some times where all my human self-constructed crutches were swept away. And those were the times that I have had to learn to rely on Jesus because, hey, I was raised by by parents who grew up in in the the deep South farm country where you learn to do everything yourself. Mm. You pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. You're very self-reliant. You don't accept charity. You don't rely on other people. You, you do it. You figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. You don't throw stuff away if it can be fixed. You don't go buy something new just cause it broke. (laughs) You figure it out. You know what I mean? There's like this certain self-reliant mindset. So I was raised very much in that kind of thing. And, but, but when we transfer that into spirituality, that's a barrier between us and salvation, because if we want to fix salvation ourselves and we're super self-reliant, then you're not leaning on Jesus. And there came a time where I realized that even though I, if you'd asked me, 
I never would have said that I was, I mean, I, I just took self-reliance as like, that is a good thing. I don't know why everybody else isn't self-reliant too. You know, I was proud mm. of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, but there came a time when I lost everything that I thought I had built my life on. Mm. And, um, I had to learn how to stop trying to do it all by myself and really, really surrender to Jesus. And, um, I'm, I'm a survivor of, a, of an abusive marriage. I was, uh, I was a pastor's wife for 13 years. So I was very heavily involved in ministry, mm-hmm. um, as a ministry spouse, as an adult. And, um, all the time that I was busy, 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 helping other people and developing resources and doing media production and, and launching my own company, doing branding strategy. I was also living in a, in a highly abusive and unhealthy environment at home. And, um, and it, it, I'd got so used to it, I could hardly even see it for what it was anymore. It was just life. Mm-hmm. And um, and it, it took that exploding in my face and starting life over in the middle with very little and being homeless with my kids for a few months and um, having our suitcases and a car mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, just rebuilding life uh, that, that looked nothing like everything I had thought mm-hmm. my life would look like. And then trying to figure out which way was up and how to stand up again and realizing that the only way to survive with my identity intact was to completely and totally put my my heart, my mind, and my future in the hands of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And wait for him to show me and provide and protect and just a completely new way of of not being self-reliant. And that doesn't mean I don't kill my own spiders and check my own tire pressure in my car and do things for myself. It doesn't mean it doesn't mean I'm helpless. It just means that I know now where my strength comes from. And it's not me. Yeah. And that's the hardest, that's one of the hardest lessons to learn. Um Oh, it's brutal. And 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 yet and yet it's so necessary <laughs> because God can't do anything with us as long as we think we can save ourselves. And yet realizing coming to that point where we realize we can't do anything. You know, it's hard yeah. and yet so necessary. Um yeah. so you've you work a lot with I mean you as I mentioned at the beginning, you co founded Bucket Brigade Against Abuse. Um and, and you you are very you know originally when i when I had heard your name mentioned a um, long time ago, it was to do with you know abusive relationships and and things mm-hmm. to do with that um, so coming out of this thirteen year you know marriage is that why you're so passionate about this now or or what kind of planted the seeds for what you do now well i would I would say yes and and also on partly. Um, the first seeds for what I do now were planted back when I was a kid, um, dreaming about growing up to become a missionary someday. Mm -hmm. So having a heart for people that are in unjust situations, having a heart for helping those who are the underdog in the world, that kind of thing. Um, the seeds for that and also this mentality of being a justice fighter, do what is right at 
any cost. It does not matter mm -hmm. what the cost is. You do what you know is right regardless. So those real life heroes, they shaped that. Mm -hmm. uh, I lost sight of that for a long time because of what I was living in. And I don't mean that I intentionally chose to do wrong. I just, everything got blurred when you're in psychological trauma, when you're in that psychological trauma isn't exactly the right word, but when you're in, when you're in emotional abuse and, and psychological abuse, verbal abuse, your reality gets twisted. You, mm -hmm. you, you second guess yourself. It's because they call it gaslighting. You wonder if you're crazy. You don't know what's really real. And so there were, there were whole spans of time in the middle there that I was just fighting to, to stay aware of reality. Mm -hmm. And so the, those were harder times. But when, when I came out of that, um, I, and, and, and the fog cleared, I call it a trauma fog. When, when your trauma fog kind of clears and lifts and you start to see things clearly again, um, you, what, what came to me was that God didn't bring this painful journey to me, but God showed me he planned to use this painful journey to help others. Hmm. And that became very clear to me. So those seeds of like, do what's right and stand up and speak about the hard things, those were planted very young. But yes, having experienced that and being a survivor um, gave me a sense because I realized how hard it was for me. And I actually had a tremendous support network compared to many, many people. Uh, I had an education. I had parents who believed me. I had friends who saw through everything. I had counselors and mentors and, and a lot of women go through stuff and they don't have any of that. And I realized if this was so life shattering for me, what would it be like if I had less resources and support for than I did? Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I, I, I began to realize just how, how hard it is. And also I realized how few resources there are in the faith community for women going through these kinds of relationships. And very often women who are experiencing this kind of relationship, experiencing abuse um, in any of its 12 or 13 forms uh, in their homes and the, the person they are married to is a leader at church, is a spiritual leader, is a pillar in the community. And those are those are just reasons to double down on your silence and endure it because you are so sure no one will believe you. Mm. And it makes you feel crazy because at church or in the community, they are beloved and charming. And then private, it's a completely different story. So yes, the, the short answer is that because of what I went through, it's, it's why I work full time now and volunteer as well in the the area of supporting and providing resources and creating healing opportunities and promoting awareness and education and training in the areas of abuse in the faith community. Such an incredible conversation with Sarah McDougal. Thank you, Sarah, for sharing your story and Thank you for listening. I know that this was a cliffhanger, but don't worry. We have part two of this conversation next week right here on Stories of Faith and Hope. If you'd like to learn more about Sarah and the organizations that um, she helped 
start and also helps run. Um, we're going to hear a lot more about that next week, but you can also go to our website, sarahmcdougal.com. That's S-A-R-A-H-M-C-D-U-G-A-L.com. And I will have that linked in the show notes as well. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast that you don't miss next week's episode. But right now we're going to have a short teaser of what our conversation looks like next week right here on Stories of Faith and Hope. I know one young woman who um, had been living and researching her her abusive environment and what was going on for a little while before she contacted me. And, um, and when she contacted me, she was pregnant with baby number four, three children under the age of five, and she had 94 cents in her bank account. And she said, I'm ready to go. Where do I go? You'll hear the rest of that story and others right here on Stories of Faith and Hope next week. Make sure you're subscribed. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. We're online at faithandhoperadio.com and on Facebook at Faith and Hope Radio. Music was provided by Dexter Britton under the Creative Commons license. Have a wonderful week. God bless you and have faith and hope.